Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corn Rose Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. It always helps us out. I'd love to hear from you, get any of your uh, thoughts, comments, questions. I'll be sure to answer them. I'm really psyched today to be previewing uh, the game with the Atlanta Hawks coming up on Saturday. We're recording this on Friday, so anything could be subject to change from now and then. Um, but I'm joined by Sarah K. Spencer from, uh, from over AJC covering the Hawks. Uh, Sarah, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for thanks for having me. A lot can change in a day, like you said. Um, but yeah, looking forward to the game tomorrow as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I guess, you know, first question I want to ask you right off the bat, uh, what has been uh, interesting is the wrong way to put it, but what's been uh, like one thing about the season, not even just specifically about the Hawks, but just uh, NBA in general, that's been uh, interesting, different uh, for you, other than just, you know, the fact that it's the middle of the pandemic, you know, we can... Uh, it's it's a a 30 minute podcast we don't have time to talk about all that but yeah I know I know right like I would need hours to talk about everything that's been different this season um so just a little background um for everyone this is only my second year on the beat um I graduated from UGA and then lived in Pennsylvania for about three years and Mm -hmm. I guess a year and a half ago coming up on two years um so last year was my first year on the beat um and it was you know mildly normal until March 11th um And then everything, you know, the the season was suspended, everything, um, you know, with COVID started really unfortunately ramping up and and getting worse. And, um, you know, now that's been going on for such a long time, sadly. Um, So, you know, it's it's been interesting. I have kind of a I still kind of have a little bit of a small sample size with the NBA. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, this season, the Hawks run in the bubble. So it was eight, nine months of almost no activity, no team activity covering a lot of stuff off the court, um, which is good too and, and important to do as well. Uh, but just, there was just a lot of mystery and a lot of almost confusion about, you know, what was going to happen. And then, um, and then, you know, we learned there was going to be a season. Um, and I think this season, probably the thing that's been interesting or I guess weird to me is just how different the schedule is um, and how different, you know, I kind of do I kind of do what the Hawks do, you know, so, you know, if they're not practicing, you know, obviously, even if it's just virtually, you know, when they don't get to practice this much this season, um, you know, that affects like what you write and how you cover the team as well. Um, their schedule is really compressed, you know, as you know, because they're trying to make it through 72 games in a shorter amount of time. So that affects things as well. Um, so I think probably just the weird thing about this season has been the schedule. And then of course, you know, there's just a, a still a lot of, I don't know if it's confusion, but, you know, you have like what happened with Kevin Durant with health and safety protocols the other day. And, you know, the all-star game is probably possibly coming to Atlanta. Um, So how's that going to be handled? You know, just I think just so much this season has been up in the air or odd or, you know, I don't want to say controversial, but kind of, you know, there's there's so many different, you know, opinions on how we should be doing things. And I think that, um, you know, you realize how much stuff is bigger than just basketball, you know? So it's been, it's been a weird odd season for, I think everyone involved, you know, and teams are having to do stuff so differently. So that means, you know, we in media are as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And like you were mentioning with things being controversial or different, like I remember I was watching the game, they, they were playing the Pistons yesterday um, in Detroit and, you know, I, it, it panned out on the broadcast and you can see uh, I, I like they had uh, the dance team was like in the arena. And I just like thought to myself, cause they're obviously wearing masks. And I'm just like, I was like, you know, this whole season, like as much as I love the fact that I get paid to cover a basketball team, like, that's, that's pretty awesome, right? Like it's mm-hmm, a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think about it, I'm like, this is just, it's so like, it's a, it's an interesting paradox just looking at like what, almost like, what are we doing here? Like it's, it's very odd to look at sometimes and think this is really happening and it has been for like a long time, but um, yeah, like yeah. we're like, we're so lucky to obviously still, you know, be working and be covering teams and like, you know, love what we do so much, but it just makes you it just gives you pause realizing how far reaching everything that's going on is. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, well to dive into the basketball now. So, so for the people that are still left listening after, after me ranting about that, um, <laughs> one of the things that I, you know, I try and do a lot of stuff uh, covering freelance as well. And just looking around the whole league and I've really enjoyed the Hawks this year. I remember I talked to Chris Kirshner from over the, at the athletic about them before the year, obviously they made, this was probably one of the biggest um, off seasons for the Hawks in team history. Um, with all the additions that they made. But I think the the first direction I want to go and talk about a little bit is Clint Capella has been incredible uh, this season. I remember, you know, the first couple of games I watched him, he uh, did not quite look himself athletically. Um, but over the last you know, probably 15 games, he's been just on a ridiculous tear. I think he leads the league in rebounding right now. Mm-hmm. And he's been a large part for why the Hawks are randomly more of a defense first team this year, um, almost. Like the defense has been better than it's, than it has since pretty much Paul Millsap left. So uh, speak. A, I'd love to get your thoughts a little bit on Clint and how he's impacted the team. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. When I was covering um, the preseason or the first few games of the season, it was so apparent already just how much of a monster rebounder Clint Capella is and how, you know, he very few Hawks, especially before they made a lot of moves, ha- you know, had playoff experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is This was still if any, like this was still a very young team, a team that is still, you know, learning how to win feels like it's reaching the end of its rebuild, but doesn't have much experience with, you know, winning much less at a high level. Um, especially when you look at guys, you know, John Collins is the longest tenured Hawk and he's been here four years, you know, so it's been, it's been interesting to see how Clint's kind of veteran presence and just organization and ability to use his voice really helps his team on defense. Um, just kind of that backline presence, and then, of course, he's, you know, he's room protecting um, at a high level. Um, he's just rebounding at a high level. He's just really present. Um, and I think last season, the Hawks had several problems last season, but one of them was the lack of a consistent starting caliber center who, you know, can is good around the rim, you know, and who who can be that defensive presence for them. And so he gives them that immediate boost. And that was apparent from the get go. But he wasn't moving very well and it was, but it was understandable. Like the guy hadn't played a game since last January before last season's trade deadline, when he was still with Houston Mm -hmm. had been, it had been a long kind of road for him. He had that weird heel injury. It was like a bone bruise, just some plantar fasciitis kind of stuff that nags you. And so even though, you know, I remember asking guys about it and being like, yeah, I mean, he's really helping us, but like, this is not Clint at his best. So like basically just wait and see. And then you, you wait and you saw, you know, and, and now he's just performing at such a high level for him. Um, there have been a, there have been a few times in, in the fourth quarter 
when teams like really, really successfully space the Hawks out, whether that's the Nets, you know, and they have basically like five small shooters on the court, whether that's, um, you know, Dallas, you know, and they can, if teams like really space them out, sometimes that can be a little bit of a weakness for them. But overall, he just makes this defense so much better. And then I think one thing that maybe has been overlooked is that when you allow Clint Capella to really be himself, that frees up John Collins to really be himself. And, you know, John Collins was, he played a ton of small ball five last year, not necessarily because that's how the Hawks view him or that's what he wanted, but because again, they were searching for answers at center pretty much all season. So when you have John, you know, at the four and you have Clint at the five and you play them together, the Hawks numbers are really strong. Um, and, you know, it's because you have someone who matches up a little bit better with some of the centers in the past that have really hurt the Hawks, you know, who are just really dominant, whether it's an Embiid or, you know, someone who's a, you know, got a few inches on John Collins and just not quite his ideal matchup. Um, so it frees John up to do what he does best and it, and it allows Clint to do what he does best. And then what you end up with is a team that's like, 13th in defensive rating as opposed to 28th last year. And, you know, that's not, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, advanced stats you could get into, but just overall, they are much better. Um, they're having some problems closing games though, but overall, it, I mean, it's, it's night and day from where it was last year for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think you hit on it a little bit too, like just in watching John Collins has made so many strides as a defender. Um, like he's become one of the better help defenders in the league, which has been really cool to see. Um, and it's been cool too, because he's starting to part of it's been injuries, unfortunately, but uh, he's really kind of refound his role. I, it felt a little bit clunkier earlier in the season and he seems to have really come into his own uh, back, you know, kind of how, how he was last year. Um, but yeah, his defense has been incredible. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on kind of John uh, moving forward? So I know there've been a lot of talks about, uh, you know, his place on the team, Um just in general, I guess. And, and his, uh, I believe his deal expires at the end of this year, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on on that? I mean, obviously that's a, that's a pretty loaded question, but I mean, it just, to me, feel it feels like watching the Hawks. He's been a huge part. His pick and roll game with Trey is fantastic. I mean, he's become one of the better shooters. Um, honestly, I mean, just by the numbers, he's just about the best shooter on the team. Obviously, you know, it's not just about numbers. Like Trey does a lot more gravity wise, but mm -hmm. yeah, John's just become such a good player. It's hard to kind of envision him not being in Atlanta. It is, especially, like I said, he's the longest tenured Hawk at this point and in just his fourth season. Um, but he's been there since like the beginning of the rebuild, like when Travis Schlenk came here, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, John, uh, like you, I think you touched on this a little bit, but I think he's underrated defensively. I think mm -hmm. still kind of think that defensively he is where he was when he was like a rookie or in his second year. And when you look at him, one thing with John is every year he improves, which is, you know, a good sign. Um, and, you know, offensively, his numbers are down like a few points, but the Hawks are also winning at such a higher level than they were before. There's not, not to say they're winning at a high level, a higher level than they were before. Um, now that they have just more talent and more depth. Um, so is it a big deal if he, 18 instead of 21 you know it's but defensively I think is where he needed to improve the most and I think that has happened so I think when people talk about trades with John Collins um, or John as a trade piece I think sometimes you know and we'll see what happens but I think whenever I see the packages that people throw out there as far as like hey what about this for John Collins I'm just like I don't 
think you guys are valuing appropriately what he brings to a team, um, especially the way that he fits with the Hawks because of how well he pairs with Trey. And also, I will add, like coming into this season, there were some questions about how he would fit with Clint because they are on paper, they're similar. You see him in a game and it doesn't really look all that similar now because they figured out how to play well together. And part of that is John shooting like 41% from three. Um, so that'll help you, you know, Yeah. Uh, that'll help you diversify. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, I think John might be harder to part with than maybe some people think he would be. Um, you know, again, you got to see what happens because sometimes people give you an offer you can't refuse. Um, I mean, I know the Hawks, the Hawks will, you know, have their hat in the ring for keeping him. Um, and we'll just have to see, you know, what offers are out there and, and what happens. Um, but I, I think that people tend to kind of undervalue him a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think that he's becoming so important to what the Hawks do. In, in a couple ways. And I think that one thing that, you know, really gives him even more of a boost and even more value is that him and Clint are playing together so well. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I think that that, that makes a ton of sense. So I, I feel very validated in, in feeling the way I do about um, <laughs> why I, I don't think the auction necessarily trade John, or at least why they, sh- they probably won't be apt to. Um, mm-hmm. it, moving a little bit more towards some of the wing players. Uh, obviously, I mean, I think that's where you, you see a lot of improvement as well like deandre hunter unfortunately injured right now and he will be out for i believe the next month uh month and a half seven to ten weeks oh gosh yeah that that sucks that that might be a little conservative um Mm. it was just a meniscus debridement had to learn how to pronounce that word um but um yeah it might be a little conservative but that looks like what it's going to be right now and that's going to hurt yeah yeah definitely um so yeah i mean he he was somebody who i was really enjoying watching because so different from last year just i mean believe it or not rookies get better who would have thought um i I, that's one of the things i can't stand so many people were on his case last year i was like dude he's Mm -hmm. he's a rookie i know he played in college for a while but it's a big it's a big jump up um but i mean you see cam now as well cam really has struggled this year offensively Mm -hmm. i still have liked him defensively but um do you think that there's a really good chance for him to kind of step up and, uh, or not even step up? I, I don't like saying phrasing it like that, but mm-hmm. um, to kind of refine some of his form that he had at the end of last year uh, offensively. Yeah, you know, it's weird. The last few months, um, so I always like telling this story because I think it's just cool. Um, Vince Carter basically helped Cam Reddish kind of adjust his shot to the NBA, which mm-hmm. I think is so cool. Um, you know, it's, and Cam, you know, he, he needed it. He, he was just, he was just really struggling to adapt offensively to the NBA. I think one thing that was impressive is that from the get go, he was pretty good defensively. Like he, you know, he was good on the ball. Like he was great getting into passing lanes. He was re- by the end of the season, he was really scrappy anticipating steals. You know, some guys just have a nose for that. And he, it's hard to even quantify, but it, it, he was looking so good defensively offensively the last few months of the year last year and of course the hawk season was cut short which was such a bummer for the whole team but guys like him as well who were just finding their stride and then you know and then you kind of throw them off their routine a little bit um he was shooting well from three which has been you know, which had been a big problem for him um that was a big problem for him and also just like getting sped up or playing so fast like lloyd pierce hawks coach lloyd pierce said something a few times that struck me that Cam was kind of trying to beat people with moves 
you know, which is something that you think of with college guys who are maybe going to go to the NBA and you can, you can do that. And then you come to the NBA and you just kind of have to, I don't know, maybe be a little bit more, um, just slow down a little bit. Like, I think sometimes he tries to play so fast because he's a fast guy. Like that's what, that's what, that's how he, you know, thinks, okay, this is how I can, what I can do person. Um, and Lloyd has said a few times, you know, we just need him to slow down. We just need him to slow down. We just need him to slow down. Now it's a matter of just him doing it. I think, um, I think it's a matter of him doing it and him, you know, finding some consistency because he does have some games where I'm like, okay, that was a nice little game from Cam Reddish, you know, like that was an efficient, you know, nice game. And of course I'm speaking offensively, defensively, he's pretty sound. Um, but I think it's just a matter of him settling into a rhythm, finding some consistency and slowing down. I think it's certainly possible because he was doing it. Like he, he's done it. It's not like, you know, this is, Oh, does he have this in him? He did for months last season, but he just kind of lost it a, a little bit. You know, it, it was odd. He looked good in the preseason and then with some offensive decision-making and, and just playing fast, he's kind of reverted a little bit. But he, you know, he was doing it before. I think he can do it again. It's just a, a matter of when that happens. Yeah, definitely. Okay, that's what makes sense. Do you think bringing in some of the veteran guys like had an impact on that? Because he was obviously, you know, starting down the end of last year, um, or I guess it is last year. Oh, it feels yeah, so long. it's, it's hard, not. It's, it's officially last. Year I know, now. right? Like it's it's crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you think that maybe had an impact on him? You know, I don't think so. That was a, that was something that was, I guess, cause for concern among Hawks fans is, you know, Hawks fans love their three young wings. Of course. Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, and also Kevin Herter. Um, and those guys have so much potential and it's easy to see and they have amazing games and it's like, whoa, you know, and it was like, oh no, are they not going to get enough consistent playing time? That has not been the case because of how injured the Hawks have been um, and just kind of the way some things have shaken out this season. Um, so it's not like he's not getting, you know, consistent time. Like he's starting, you know, like, you know, here he's starting quite, he started quite a few games this season because of some injuries and some things that have happened. Um, but um I don't know if it's so much veterans that have been added to the mix. I mean, obviously when the team was at full strength, which has not been much at all, you know, your minutes are going to go down a little bit um, of course, but I don't necessarily think it's that as much as it's just him, you know, and him mm -hmm. kind of needing to slow down a little bit and find a rhythm. Okay. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, so also, I mean, you mentioned Kevin, Kevin has been really good this year, obviously. I mean, he's been a good shooter, but I feel like he's improved a little bit defensively as well. Um, what other areas have you kind of seen him uh, grow this year? Yeah, I, I think that you're seeing it a little bit more like since I was first covering the team. Uh, one of my first conversations with Kevin Herter was about how he wasn't getting a lot to the line enough. And this would have been about um, his, I guess, like rookie season. And Lloyd uh, Hawks coach Lloyd Pierce was like, we need him to get to the line more. And obviously that means, you know, playing a little bit more physical, driving a little bit more, drawing more contact, finishing through contact, that kind of thing. Um, that was something that they wanted him to do. And it seems like since I've been covering the team, he's been saying, you know, that's what I want to do. I think now you're seeing he's finally healthy enough to achieve that. 
Um, and he, you're, you're seeing some uptick with him being able to finish around the rim and kind of challenge guys in the lane and be a little bit stronger with the ball. He still has some moments. Like, I, I don't think it's perfect yet, but I think he's developing that like he's finally healthy enough for that part of his game to really develop. Whereas last year he had a lot of knee problems then he had some shoulder problems. And of course, if you're trying to be really strong and like plant your foot, you know, and knee problems are going to impede that a bit. Um, so yeah, I think that he's making a lot of strides this year. And then, you know, the last few games he's been shooting, it's like 50% from three, like he's shooting it more than that, actually. Um, so he's been shooting really well, which that's, you know, his kind of bread and butter. Um, but, uh, something that people don't necessarily always know about Kevin Herter, unless you're watching him game in and game out is like last season when the Hawks had backup point guard kind of issues, and they're still having that this year, Kevin Herter handles the ball for them a lot, um, because he's an excellent passer. Um, so I think with Kevin, he's just finally healthy enough for parts of his game to take off in ways that he hasn't been in the past. And then defensively, I mean, that's a good point too. Like you saw him lock down Fred Van Fleet, you know, against the Raptors. Like he, he is a little underrated defensively. I think that's part of his game that could still grow. I think he could still be more physical, but I think he's starting to progress in that arena. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed watching this game. He's got such a smooth shot too. Um, he does. He does. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a good point to bring up about the, the point guard play, because that was something that I, that was on my list to bring up. Obviously Trey's awesome. been incredible. I mean, Trey's such a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually made a lot of, like, if, if you just look at pure counting stats, about the same as last year, but getting to the line more, he's taking less of the logo threes, which I think has ultimately been better for him um, and for the team. But also, I think it's important to look at too, like you were mentioning. I like I remember writing something on it um, last year, like when when Trey Young was off the court. I believe the Hawks had like the worst offensive rating in NBA history, like just it's, about. It's, it was it's awful. Rough. It, and, it it falls off a cliff when he's not there. Yeah, and even this year, I mean, Rajon Rondo was brought in, and he's really struggled this year. And the, I mean, the bench playmaking hasn't been all that much better. Um, I guess you know what. What are your thoughts, kind of, on that, and and what's been up with Rondo, or or not even what's been up with him, but like you know, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on kind of how they're trying to mitigate that? Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's an issue again. You know, um, like Rondo was brought in for that purpose, you know? Um, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's tough with Rondo because he can be so good and he can be so, you know, it's, it's tough with him. Like you see him in the bubble and you're like, wow, you know, and, and obviously he's still a good passer. Obviously he's still got great instincts. He's great vision and he's very vocal and has that veteran presence to really floor general, you know, a young team, which is great. Um, but just as far as, you know, performing well and having good games and, you know, ensuring that the Hawks can still score when Trey Young is off the, when Trey Young is off the court and on the bench, um, it has still been a struggle for them. Um, And they have Brandon Goodwin, who's a little bit more of like a third guard, like he was converted from a two-way last season. And He's on a full contract this season Um, and he has some games where he can like get hot, um, but he's not playing very much this season. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, it's still an issue for them. Um, It's an issue they needed to address and it, you know, it, it, 
it hasn't improved. So it's, it's tough or it certainly hasn't improved enough. Um, and it's tough because, you know, there, there are stretches of games where when Trey Young is off the court, you know, everyone knows it now it's, it's a thing now, like when Trey Young is off the court, like you kind of wait, okay, what was the score when he was off the court? Oh gosh, what's the score going to be when he comes back on, you know, how much are they going to fluctuate while he's off, but he already plays so much and he can't play the entire game. So, I mean, it's, it's just something where, you know, maybe Rondo starts to improve. Maybe they, maybe they figure it out again. Kevin's a good passer. Like he's, he's running the offense a fair bit. Um, you know, there, there are some times when, and when DeAndre Hunter was playing, he can create his own shot, you know, so, so that helped them too. Um, but it, you know, we'll just have to see how much this is going to catch up with them throughout the season. Um, we'll just, we'll just have to see, but it's, it's still an issue for them. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, and it, it obviously hurts too. I mean, Chris Dunn is not like, uh, he's become a lot more of a two yard and just wing in general in the NBA, but he still brings some of that. And he's been out obviously hasn't and played. So a game yet. Yeah. So, I mean, so like a lot of, a yeah. lot of what was going to be there in terms of secondary creation off the bench just hasn't been there, but yeah, so I, I almost think that that's not a good thing, but I mean, considering where the Hawks are at right now, eighth in the eighth in the East um, with most of their rotation missing time so far, like, I think it's like, would you say, uh, did you have higher expectations for them or have they kind of met your expectations so far to start the year? So I tried to go in, like, I know the Hawks, you know, they feel they're nearing the end of their rebuild. They spent certainly spent some money in the off season, um, you know, to fortify the roster. Um, I really liked the addition of bogey just because, um, I think that there were a few times early in the season back when he was still, he's been out more than a month now. Um, where you would see Trey Young, you know, shooting this like catch and shoot corner three, which never happened, you know, but, but Bogey was there to get him the ball, you know, whereas Trey, I mean, he, he's, he's always going to be on the ball a ton, you know, but there you had the freedom to kind of have that flexibility. Um, so I really liked that addition. Um, and there were some games where it was working really well. He was still kind of figuring it out with the team. Um, and he's not going to be out for the whole season, most likely. Um, I spoke to him a few days ago and he, if he had it his way, he'd be back before the all-star break. It probably not, you know, it'll probably be a little bit more conservative than that. Um, so overall, like if they get some guys healthy back, whether that's, you know, bogey, whether that's DeAndre Hunter, who is going to be out a while. So they're just kind of ha- have to not, not tread water because they are better than that, but you know, they're just going to have to do their best and, you know, they're going to have to start, figuring it out more in the fourth quarter. Cause they're, I think it's nine and six in games where they're leading um, after the third quarter. Um, they've got the worst point differential in the NBA and the fourth. Um, so if they can clean some things up down the stretch um, and just continue to kind of develop and it, it's, you know, they, had, they added nine new players to the roster and some of those guys are playing, some of them aren't. Um, so I think as far as expectations, you know, if my kind of expectation was probably, can they, you know, fight and scrap to be in the playoff conversation? And I think the playoff, um, what do you call it? Like the play in tournament. Um, I think it's muddied everything. Like, you know, like <laughs> if I'm talking about playoffs, am I talking about one through 10? Am I talking about one through eight? Like, I, I mean, exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I do like the idea of the play in tournament. I think it really incentivizes team late teams late. I think it's really fun. And I think that's going to help teams that are kind of on the bubble or on the cusp, which maybe the Hawks are like, 
you know, when I get asked this question, it's tough because I still feel like this team is trying to figure out its identity, you know, as good as Trey Young is playing now, like he's playing fantastic now, but he had seven games where he was really struggling, you know, which it happens sometimes. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, then they were playing so well with DeAndre Hunter, who was just, you know, shown stellar improvement. And now he's for seven to 10 weeks, you know, um, and then, you know, Bogey had some games where he came to the bench and was like lighting it up and then he's been hurt. So I don't feel like I fully know this team's identity yet. I feel like they're still figuring it out. They've shown such defensive improvement, but then they can't close some games that they, they really should have won. Um, so I, I don't know exactly as far as, you know, my expectations and where they are. Um, I figured they would be in the mix for, you know, the playoff conversation, which it looks like maybe they will be. We'll just have to see how how it goes as they get guys back healthy and as they, you know, figure some stuff out, you know, late in games. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, I would, I would agree with that. I think it's uh, it's kind of funny because like you're mentioning, you, you don't really know quite what the team is because they've been so injured and that's, that's how I feel about the Pacers. I mean, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, both out still. Um, obviously Victor Oladipo was traded earlier on. So like I've, it's been like a tale of two halves. They started out the year eight and four. They went four and eight, and they were eight, luckily able to win in Detroit after a pretty bad skid. They were one and seven in their last eight before beating mm-hmm. Detroit. Um, and they routinely struggle with Trey. So I'm that, that's going to be an interesting matchup tomorrow. But have you caught the paces at all this year? Or do you have any kind of like thoughts on where they're at? Yeah, a little bit here and there. Um, I think one thing, yeah, one thing that stands out to me is I believe that was the game Trey scored 49 last. Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he just cooks them for, for a few reasons. Um, I think one thing that stood out to me when I was looking some stuff up before I knew I was going to chat with you also is like, it's kind of similar to how the Hawks season has gone. You know, they've started out strong and it's kind of like, oh, wow, like this team's going to be better than we thought it was going to be. And then, you know, there was one period where I think the Hawks were one or six, one had won one of their last six or one of their last seven. Um, and then they kind of around a little bit and, you know, beat, you know, Minnesota and, and you know, got got um, got it turned around a little bit. But I think they followed similar patterns. Um, I think that I think. I think the Trey thing stands out to me a lot though, because he just seems to have really good luck against, against the Pacers. Yeah. They are very bad at defending small guards and they have been for a while, pretty much since the Paul George era ended, they just have had no answer for anybody who is six foot to six foot three and can handle a ball. So um, Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how that works out tomorrow, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think it'll be a really good game and I'm interested to see how, uh, how both teams kind of compete down the stretch. Cause I think they will be around the same area. Uh, it depends on when or if Karis LeVert and TJ Warren come back. Um, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. It's yeah. It's two teams who, you know, started strong, then stumbled and injury issues. It's two teams where you look at them and you're like, I wonder where they would be if everyone was fully healthy. Um, but you know, that's, that's something that's going to happen, you know, this season more than any other season, you're going to have guys out, And something I think that we have to keep in mind is teams are struggling with that who don't have a ton of injuries, but guys are in health and safety protocols. Like look at the wizards, you know, like the Hawks have only practiced a handful of times this season, but then the wizards weren't able to practice for like a month straight, you know? So it's guys are, there's a lot of moving pieces this season for so many reasons, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's very hard to kind of contemplate like okay well what is, what is this team? What, like what, what is the league? What is happening? I don't know. Like exactly. You're right. And there's a lot of teams where I like, 
especially, I mean, I guess just like, you know, being in the East where it just looks like a lot of backlog, you know, you have like teams that are, and I thought, uh, you know, I thought maybe that might change this year, just with some of the moves made in the off season and some of the ways the conference changed, but because of the nature of this season, it's kind of, it's put so many, everyone's kind of at a disadvantage, you know? And, And so I think you're seeing a lot of teams just kind of backlogging in that, like, medium record you know it's as as guys have been out and teams are not who like who is at full strength you know like I mean some teams are but a lot of teams are not you know yeah no that's a great point I mean like you look down the end of the east like you can say okay well Detroit they're like about where I'd expect Washington Washington has had a ton of injuries I mean obviously Thomas Bryan was out Um, Mm -hmm. they've dealt with all the health health and safety protocol issues Orlando was really good to start the year part of that was beginners looks the wrong way to put it Um, but I mean like Jonathan Isaac was out Aaron Gordon's out now Markel Fultz is out for the season like they had they just got slammed with injuries Mm -hmm. I mean yeah Cleveland Larry Nance is out now like all this stuff yeah it totally Cleveland's had it Cleveland's had it they've got they've been through the ringer it's been bad they've had it real bad and you know the Hawks have had it bad as well you know it's 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 just rough it like I and it you know I mean part of it is just you know as far as assessing how teams are doing you just got to do it every after every game because it changes so fast you know yeah yeah most definitely well Sarah I really appreciate you taking the time uh to to come on and 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 give some of your insight uh where can people find you at do you have anything that you want to plug yeah yeah so just ajc.com um for you know Hawks, all the Hawks coverage, your heart desires. Um, and then I'm on Twitter. I have a common name. So my Twitter handle is complicated, but it's at Sarah underscore K underscore Spence. So that's me. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll have links for everything on. down below. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, this we'll is fun. We'll definitely have to catch up sometime. Um, I really appreciate it to everyone listening. Of course, go follow Sarah and everything she does. So major thanks to Sarah for joining. She was absolutely fantastic. Again, if you haven't already, be sure to go follow her. Um, I'm recording this the day after I ended up doing a podcast with Tony East shortly after I recorded with Sarah. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right into that. Tony East, the man who, uh, who lives West, but his name is, uh, is not West. So I live West of you. I wouldn't say. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, is like, Indianapolis West? I think mid Midwest is not, you know, you, you would be Tony Southwest I guess for me. West. Southwest to you. That's actually yeah. Yeah. pretty close, but how are things on your end, man? I'm good. It was a busy week. Madden started, so lots more Pacers y games to watch and yes. my job's picking up a little more and it's just a, a lot of a lot of stuff to do this week. But I'm excited to chill this weekend. Only one Pacers game. Going skiing next weekend. Ooh, so I've never been skiing before. That is a misstep in your life. That I is. have a bad knee, so it's probably not <laughs> the smartest for me to go. I used to do like extreme sports as a kid, like Whoa, motorcycle, shit. like motocross and stuff. That sounds yeah, that sounds way more exciting than it actually is. <laughs> but now I'm unathletic, so skiing's a good balance because all you need to go fast is gravity. So <laughs> that's like that does help to, to get my thrill on. No, actually, that sounds pretty rad. I know I had like places right by me growing up where I could have gone skiing, but I just never did. You want, all right, let's talk about the Mad Ants first. I've enjoyed watching the Mad Ants. I'd never watched the Mad Ants before this year, but I decided to cave because I really want to watch Cassius Stanley play. Um, well, first, Cassius Stanley. Cassius looks good. I've really enjoyed him. Um, well, not great. Okay, well, let's <laughs> let's, let's let's start. What what have you thought about Cassius so far in the G League? They are definitely letting him uh, grow through. They're letting him do a lot. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, they he took, I think, 24, 20, I forget, a lot of shots in their first game against the Westchester Knicks. Uh, he looked really great at the beginning of the game. I think he had eight points in the first, like, two minutes. And then I think he finished, yeah, eight for 25 in their first game. So that was a lot. And then in their second game, he also shot pretty poorly. I still, I'm struggling to pull up individual stats because the G League website is very Yeah, confusing. it's broken. Like, yeah. I, I'm trying to pull up stuff too right now. It's like, no, you will not. <laughs> take me all day. Okay, so if he took 25 shots in the first game and he's at 18, that means he took 11 in the second game and he hit uh, five of them. So he is really shooting and I applaud them for letting him grow that way. Uh, his athleticism pops, right? He's had some nice bursts of the rim, some good dunks. But he's not doing really anything else. Less than one rebound a game in over 30 minutes. One and a half assists, two and a half turnovers. Not no stock, like basically no stocks. Like he's just, they're letting him grow. And I am all about that. Um, you know, two-way players deserve that. That's kind of what they're in the, in the G League for anyway. And, you know, clearly the pops are there, right? He's just, he's not really like team helpful. He's just on ball helpful right now. So, yeah, I think the on-ball flashes are pretty good and letting him develop the scoring and the shooting is nice. I think he's taken like five threes a game. But yeah, he's had a few rough moments <laughs> to, yeah, be, to be clear. Yeah, definitely. I think, okay, all right, to be fair, I think I was looking at him just in terms of like a context at the next level. Like he's making really nice cuts. Like he would, yes. his athleticism just totally pops on cuts. And yes. I think we even saw that in the preseason. He looked really nice doing that. Um, the threes, I, I think, I I don't have a great read on his threes because he didn't shoot super well at Duke. Like he shot... And he shot like 36 and percent at Duke on like pretty decent volume. Um, but he's not like an amazing free throw shooter. Um, the form looks fine, but he's, he's not a movement shooter at all. Like it's all catch and shoot stuff right now. Um, so of course I want to see that grow, but the biggest thing for me too, is his handle. Cause his handle is like non-existent, um, which is part of the reason why he wasn't like prolific at Duke and not to say that he was bad. Like he was still a good player, but um in terms of growing into a guy who can actually attack closeouts, that's what I'm really looking for. Um, because I think, I mean, that's his role. Like if he can be a guy who shoots threes, attacks closeouts and plays smart defense, that's a win for a second round pick. As far as I'm concerned. It's more than a win for a second round pick. And just one of those two things gets him his spot minutes they need from the 54th pick. So yeah. It, uh, yeah. We'll see. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think that he can come around a little bit as a slasher. I think that's probably the most likely outcome of, of all the skill groups. I would want, I would want to put him in, but they're going to, they're going to keep trying. And I like that. I think that's the way to use your G league team. Uh, and you know, if you're going to pay to be in this bubble, that makes a lot of sense to develop your guys. So I'm all about it. Uh, we'll see, but yeah, a little, little rough so far. Uh, some other guys have popped a little more to me. So, okay. Who else is popping? monitoring the development? Well, the best two guys aren't even on two ways or, uh, in the case of the Q and NBA contract. So that's interesting. Mitru Long was a two, on its way last year. Um, he's good. I think Naz Mitru Long is good. He is good. He's, he's so strong for his size. Yeah. Good finisher, good passer. He can shoot a little. Um, so he's he's been their main setup guy. I've been impressed by him. Unfortunately, he can't get a two-way anymore. He has too many years of service now. So he's got to earn a, a real contract. But he's he's like, he's not quite in that that uh, Ty, or Ty Jerome, whoops. Uh, Ty Wallace tier of like two good. I hope he's not in Ty Jerome tier. Ty Jerome is <laughs> no, Ty bad Jones. in the NBA. Ty Wallace too good for the G League, not good enough for the NBA. He's not quite that level, but he's one of the best G League players every year. And then the best player on the team's been O'Shea Brissett. He's been yep. really good as a as a slasher, finisher, rebounder. I mean, he's doing a lot of good stuff. So I've been well. There, there were a couple of guys who have popped to me, but those two have been my favorite too. I think uh, in terms of standouts. So. Not that, not that the Pacers guys are doing bad necessarily. Like, LeCue's playing all right. Bowen had a really good first game against the Knicks. 
So they'll, they'll grow and they'll look better. It's only been two games, but the, the Mitri Long and Brissett have really popped to me. Yeah. I really like Daxter Miles personally. Daxter Miles is fun. They need a shooter. He can shoot, and he's he's fun defensively. He competes. I mean, he played at West yeah. Virginia, if I remember correctly. Um, did he play at West Virginia? That's gonna be where a G League went to college. Is, is that, not okay? Well. Yeah, this is what do we know, right? Um, <laughs> hold on, I'm looking it up. I think he won it. He did play at West Virginia. Look there we you. go. All right. <laughs> they had a race on Hammonds in the preseason. The Pacers did. And he has done really well on defense and can kind of, he's not like Alizé E, but he's like, he tries pretty hard and dives to the basket a lot, but he's pretty limited because he plays center and he's like six, six. So yeah, and he's interesting, but not, not really. And he good, can't so. shoot yet. Well, yeah. I mean, like theoretically he can shoot, but it's not, it's not there yet. Yeah, but if they, I mean, they don't really have shooters, unfortunately. But if, I mean, the variance will carry them to a few wins. Like their offense looks good, they're, like their sets and stuff. They're getting good looks. They're just not making anything. <laughs> and having a legit center when Brima can join the team will help. But yeah, they're very capped by bad shooting, and they just go on these little mini runs when they have the right guys on the floor right now. And they're going to be one of the worst G League teams, I think, until Brima gets back. But they look yeah. all right. It was funny to me because especially watching the first game, I was like, wow, they're like the opposite of the main club. They just have a bunch of forwards <laughs> who can't handle the ball. They, they try uh, to play like the Pacers, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, they were, they, they were playing very much so like the Pacers. Yeah. They, they switched coaches just because of that. Haskins, Hankins. I can't believe I, yeah, it's Hankins. S or N. <laughs> I got all the rest of the letters, right? Pretty close. Uh, Tom, I'll call him Tom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I think part of the reason they, they hired him is because he can, you know, keep them playing the same way Bjorkren's team plays. And he's done a good job with that so far. Aggressive ball defense, forced a lot of turnovers, Diving to the basket a lot, shooting a lot at the basket, shooting a lot from deep. Uh, so that's good for development and playing like the Pacers is good if they, you know, they'll get the cue back and when if they call the two get two way guys back up, all that kind of stuff. So that's good. Uh, we'll see how it, it develops as the season goes on. Yeah, definitely. Well, now for anybody who's left after listening to the G League talk, you should be. <laughs> you no, know, I always do man and segments last. You'll well, learn. hey, I want to talk about it first because we're going to force it down <laughs> people's throats. I think it's an it's an important thing to me. Uh, development is good, believe it or not. Especially because, you know, I mean, last year we heard development thrown around like 24-7. So, all right, I'll ask the important question first because I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, Why isn't Edmund Sumner playing? Uh, (laughs) That's just right off the cuff. Why isn't Edmund Sumner playing? Uh, The short answer, I think, is that uh, maybe Yorkman really likes Aaron Holiday. And, I, you know, I get – I get it. Uh, Aaron Holiday tries on defense and is shooting a little bit better recently, which is not saying a lot. Damning with faint praise, I think, is the, is the phrase people would use for that. Yeah. Um, and they really, really, really want to invest the resources into Aaron Holiday's development because he's probably their, their best draft pick so far of the Pritchard era, although Goga's sniffing his butt now on, the, on that chase. So we'll yeah. see where that ends up. But I think the other, I think that's the main answer. And the other answer is it's like positionally, it's kind of hard because right. That's the decision. It's between Aaron and Sumner and they're not going to not play lamb at all. Lamb looks fantastic with the second unit. Uh, and McConnell's like playing big minutes recently. And obviously Brogdon, not all-star level anymore, but fringe all-star this year and whoever they have at the two guard on a given night, which now it looks like it's going to be Justin holiday, which is a good choice is obviously irreplaceable. So they either cut Aaron Holiday and play Sumner or they don't play Sumner at all. And I, and I get, I would play Sumner personally, but I get why they're playing Aaron Holiday because of the resources invested in him and what he can be, I think is better than what Sumner can be. But right now Sumner is definitely better. So, 
I don't even know if what Aaron Holiday can be is better than what Sumner can be. Actually, I might take that back. But so I would okay, I would disagree. I think I think Aaron can be better than Sumner. Sumner is definitely better right now. But I think part of it too is I mean Aaron has his lowest usage rate of his career right now. Yep. Um, he just isn't. I mean, we've seen over the last two years leading up to this year, he really thrives with the ball in his hands. Sometimes he does not look great with the ball in his hands, but he looks a lot better with the ball in his hands than with the ball out of his hands, um, which is what's been a little bit, uh, I don't want to say concerning, but like, I think it's just been, I don't want to say disappointing. It is disappointing that he hasn't played as well as, um, I mean, my expectations for him were, were huge coming. I thought he had an opportunity to take over as the sixth man nominally uh, to start the year. Of course, injuries decided, that he was going to be a starter instead. Um, but it just hasn't been in the cards. But it feels like a lot of that has been his role in the offense. And I, I don't really think you can fault the role in the offense, but it just has not worked for him that way. Not at all. Um, not, not at all. And they're le- Why did I feel like he's playing better? Yeah, I know. I looked at that. I'm like, hey, you shouldn't like 37%. It's, it's a feel thing, you know? That, that's yeah. got to mean something because I go out of my way now. The defense has certainly been better. I go out of my way to not look at the box score during the game. Like, I, yeah. I want to feel who's playing good and bad. And I feel like he's playing better recently. And then I look at his shooting percentages and I'm like, whoo. And then I look at his assists, which is something me and Adam talked about one time mm-hmm. is that he said more than he's getting, trying to be a point guard. And he said more than three assists once this season. And I look at the assists and I go, whoo. So I don't know. Maybe it's just like timely shooting. I don't know. Uh, I always joke in my own head. I think I've said this once is like the worst thing that can happen to the Pacers in a given game is Aaron holiday makes his first shot because <laughs> then he's going to shoot oh, way more often than if he misses his first shot. But Okay, in my head, he's playing better recently. Maybe that doesn't make sense. No, I agree. I felt the same. I think he's definitely been. But I don't like, know why. There, there, there was like a week stretch of games where I was like, if Aaron didn't play, that might be better for the team. But <laughs> oh, it's yeah. been at the oh, point now gosh, where yeah. like Aaron's playing. I'm like, okay, he's doing things out there that are positive. Um, in uh, in this losing sh- in, in their last five games, so four games of the losing streak, he's been a positive in three of the losses. He was plus twelve against the Pelicans. I know single game plus minus is is junk. Um, but the second unit with him in it is still outscoring the team. Maybe that's where I'm a little bit thinking of it is like he's in the game and they're playing well because yeah. earlier in the season, a lot of minus numbers here, but recently they're outscoring with him in the, in the game. So that's a good sign, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I don't know where I'm at with Aaron. Like, I think I, I still agree. Like he has, if, if the Pacers are going to be good, I think we're not, that they're not good, but like to, to be even better, to be more optimal, like you got to make Aaron work. Um, but I think what it comes down to, too, like, I mean, we've both talked separately on on pods about minutes and I don't really feel like talking about minutes because I've talked about it so many times and I'm sure I'm going to have to keep talking about it. Um, but like, I mean, I just think the way that I look at it, there's it's just hard to justify, especially in the games that we've seen Ed play well. Like I always point back to the Golden State game, um, which, of course, you know, it's easy to somebody call, accuse me of cherry picking one time just fair, but cherry picking can be fair. Like, I mean, you saw what he did in the golden state game and it's not like he has to play 15 minutes every night, but like, I feel like there's room for him to play eight to 10 minutes every night. Like there are ways to make that happen, but they just don't. Yeah. Uh, I guess <laughs> I think Brogdon would be the guy who suffers there, obviously. But would he suffer? That's the, that's the real Su- question. Suffer. I mean, minutes wise, <laughs> not like it. Like, yeah, no, I know. I was, like, uh, I had yeah, to, yeah, I had I get, to get, a, get a jab in. So look, I, I was all about, I guess what I, I should start 
saying is I was all about Goga playing like eight minutes and just sucking them from Sabonis or like, I guess two from Turner, six or whatever, just so they're at more normalized minutes and you're developing Goga. So I guess I should say the same about Brogdon, right? Play Sumner for five minutes. So Brogdon is playing 33 instead of 38 and then everybody wins. Um, so I, I guess I'd be cool with that for the exact same reasons. His development's helpful. He's good. He's obviously good. Every time he plays, I'm like, gosh, yeah. please get him on the court. So I guess that makes sense to me. I, maybe they should do that. I, I think, you know, Brogdon being the leader and being all about the minutes he's at right now and he likes the current balance of practice versus games versus whatever, I think that they're just going to keep rolling with it until he says he doesn't like it. But it, it it's, it's kind of hard because he'll never say it. Even if you ask, Malcolm, you're struggling right now. Do you feel like your heavy minute load is a factor? He will never say yes, yeah. even if it's true. You know what I mean? So we'll, we'll never – like we just have to use our eyes and say, okay, well, I think that it's the case and he's shooting terrible recently. I think uh, the Detroit was their second win with him shooting under 50% since the big trade. Like you, you heard me talk about that on the potty, yeah. the thread about it. Like he, he's really struggling to shoot recently. And you have to think legs are a factor there going under on screens. Caitlin Cooper documents this also a factor, but yeah, as he struggles, you have to wonder if getting Sumner in there makes some sense for just, uh, just, just five minutes, just, just a little five bit. Minutes. Just, just, just a little bit, you know. Maybe seven. Well, like, you know, who knows? Like even like, I mean, TJ, TJ's been really good, but like TJ's playing, he's played thirty minutes a couple times in the last yeah, couple geez, games. He's playing a lot. And, like, yeah, he's played a ton. Because actually, he's also been talking, really good though. Yeah. He, no, exactly. I mean, he has been really good, but like, there are minutes, you know, like yeah, uh, there are two hundred and forty that you can divulge to the entire roster, so they come from somewhere. Um, but I know, I mean, it was just I was thinking about it a lot last night because a, I didn't play other than a minute 39 of garbage time, which doesn't count as far as I'm concerned. I always hate when people like point that to me as like, look, development time. I'm like, no, no, he's not playing a real, those are not real minutes. Those are. And, those and are against other, other 12th men or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about it. Cause Laz, I, I did a pod with Lazarus Jackson yesterday, who I know, you know, and are, are friends with and, um, he was like, what does my guy Edmund Sumner have to do to, to get minutes? And I was like, I don't uh, know. Be, be traded to the, the I, whoever. Yeah. Yeah. My answer was significant injury on the roster. Yeah, no, that's which that's, is a huge bummer. Yeah, that would be a major bummer. But uh, yeah, that's just kind of where it's at. Um, speaking I'm looking you know, at, I forget why I was about to comment on something. I was looking at McConnell's minutes and I just had like an epiphany of some kind and I totally forget what it is. So I completely know. relate to that because I'm in the middle <laughs> of trying to do the same the thing. So I always like I start stalling in the middle of a podcast. I'm like, <laughs> let me find this one stat because I it's you know, we've talked about this before. I used to just like have like six pages of stats ready. Remember it okay, before good. I uh before I would do a um and here I am stalling still, but I would I would have like <laughs> six pages of stats ready just to like talk about for a podcast and then you end up having like absolutely no idea what you're looking for when you have all <laughs> this talking, information from you and you sound like a robot talking <laughs> it's so and bad I that yeah too. so like I, you just have to not do it and but now then you get moments like these and it's like oh nice okay what i was going to say is you mentioned Perfect. goga and sumner not playing till that garbage time i think it's very telling that when the pacers needed a win against a terrible detroit team bjorkeren uh, went away from Goga and Ed completely and was like, I'm going eight again. You know, I think, yeah, I think the feeling of pressure to win that game was immensely high to go back to an eight man rotation. So I think he knows that playing Goga, which removes some of those solo miles minutes that have been so good and, you know, not playing Ed at all, which that happens every game anyway, but yeah. you know, he, I think he knows that 
those are a detriment to winning. And then he went, he had to go away from him for a game. Who, so I think the Hawks game will be telling, like, is that one game really going to ease the pressure? Like did players ask him to get desperate in this game? Who knows? We'll see. I hope not. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but here is a no, big question for you. All right. Okay. Um, Cause I have the answer in front of me and it was something oh. I had in the back of my mind, but I just wanted to have the stats in front of me. Okay. What do you think Malcolm is shooting in fourth quarters on in the season? Fourth quarters. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, his clutch play has been pretty good, but I feel like in fourth quarters, it's gotta be cause he just hammers shots uh, like 35% probably. Oh, wow. That was a, uh, that was unkind. Uh, 37%, 37.2% oh, okay. to be exact. Yeah. Um, and 37.5% from three, but not wow. good. He has really struggled in the fourth. Yeah. Quarter. That, yeah. Yeah, it's a precipitous fall off from the third. I would have like, guessed under 40, though. But yeah, yeah I would have. I mean, just because we've watched so much of it, it makes sense. And part of it, too, it's like, I mean, he's the one who's taking a lot of the shots in right. the fourth quarter. So right. that impacts it, of course. But um, at the same time, I just think it's hard to to not watch him and say, oh, look, his legs are gone with eight minutes left in the game because he's already yeah. played 30 minutes. Like it just I mean, that's that's very real. Um, but Enough on that. Goga. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about minutes with Goga, but Goga is good now. I, I think that's safe to say. Like, is he good? Okay. Not good. Like there are flashes. <laughs> There's enough yes. like flashes warranting minutes. Like, okay. I gotta be, I gotta be a little bit more judicious with how I say. Good. I think Goga's in the twilight zone of one of my favorite statistical anomalies. Hang on. I want to, I'm doing some math. Oh, right I'm now excited. Yeah. I called Jeff green. Good. The other day. Oh, dang, realized, he's not quite there. Then I realized that I couldn't say good all the time. I, I'm like very, I, I, I'm very upbeat and positive when talking about guys. So I try and be um, fair, but what is your statistical twilight zone? Well, he's not in it. My statistical oh. twilight zone is when the gap between defensive possessions and offensive possessions of players played is big enough that they can actually have a negative plus minus, but a positive net rating because the, the per possession numbers fall short of the gap of plus minus. I think it happened with Corey Joseph one season. So Goga's really close. He, the Pages have been outscored by six with him on the court, six total points in over a hundred minutes, but his net rating is almost dead even because he's played three more per defensive possessions than yeah. offensive possessions. <laughs> Wait, yeah, okay. the D with him on is really good right now. Yes. I think it's like 109, a little under 109. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he challenges dudes like crazy. Uh, I'm writing about him right now, so I have some stats in my head, some quotes in my head. Uh, Bjorkren always says he loves his verticals, right? This challenges uh, recently of Zion, DeAndre Jordan, Gobert, go on and on. <laughs> Which one of those guys doesn't belong there? Anyway, uh, <laughs> the problem is two things. Offense, eh, eh. Uh, better screens, which is great. And he's not like in the way, like he was a few times last year, they were putting him in the dunker spot instead of just in no man's land, which is good. But look, what the part of the big draw for him was he could shoot. He was a good shooter in Europe and he's not right now. He's just not. And that's going to really limit the ceiling of what he can be as an offensive player. If he can't be a shooter, Uh, he's a 10 for 54 for his career. That means nothing. If he makes uh, 15 of 46 of his next 46, all of a sudden his percentage goes up quite a bit. Um, and now that he's setting better screens. He's had the decision to pop and roll. He's not quite good enough at that yet. So some of the stuff that he will be doing, he's clearly getting better at and his defense is good, but he's still kind of lost in the sauce on offense at times. And I like his growth. I think it's clear that he's going to be an NBA level player, which is great. They need that for their draft picks after they whiffed on leaf and holiday struggling, but question is how good can he be can he hit the threes eventually because he's just destroying it on two pointers this year like inside the arc money 
Yeah. So his touch is really good in second yards. Like I, yeah, I really liked it. He's a very heady player. I like that word. Um, but the thing about Euro Goga that I, I have a problem with when I watched a lot of it, it was hard to find that footage, by the way. A lot of zone D. So his spacing is pretty good. He understands what's happening in front of him, but he's learning from Miles a lot. He, he keeps talking about this, but like actual on ball pick and roll coverage, he's still learning. Like rookie year, he was he got stuck in no man's land every single All time. All the time. Every single time. So he's getting better, still struggling there. Like you can tell he's a second year center, but I, I think the Pacers and Goga and fans have to be happy that unlike Leaf and I was told he was awful. Isn't he oh awful? Gosh, I was told dude, Goga's that, awful, actually. Yeah, what what I want him to do is have Sabonis like no, I don't want Sabonis to have a bad game, but I want some I do for this stupid social fantasy. Well, you missed four of them, so I mean <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Have, if Sabonis has this one just awful game, I can be like, nope, he's a bust. Like none of the rest of the games he's played in his career matter. He must be a bust, right? Because that's how it worked for Goga after the Clippers game. So yeah, exactly. It was it was stupid. But like I think that brings the question, and this is, is more overarching, but is Goga gonna become good on the Pacers? Like, or what does that mean? Question. Like, I, I I've really been trying to rack my brain with that the last couple of days, especially when he was still in the rotation and playing well, which I, I'm hoping he'll be back in the rotation tomorrow. Um, but, like, I just – Hold your breath. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I mean, they have more centers on the team that are viable in Atlanta, so there's that. Um, and anybody could end up getting in foul trouble tomorrow, so there's that too. Um, but, like, even if Goga grows into it, like, I don't, I don't know. It's It's – I'm just not sure how to feel or not how to feel like I just in terms of thinking about it and, and looking at basketball, like what does this mean? Because like like you mentioned, solo miles is really damn good this year. He is really like good. the team has a 99.7 defensive rating with miles at solo center. And there's enough possessions to say, OK, that's like that's legit. And they've been good on offense, too. But like, I don't know, man, like it's just uh, it's very conflicting. Um, between where the team is going and where they're saying they want to go. And I, I don't know. They will hold him through this season, I imagine, unless they can sniff like a superstar or something that we Lord knows that's not going to happen. I imagine what's going, the plan is, or what I would imagine the plan is, is they will hold him through the season. And if the playoffs with Sabonis and turn on the floor, just go awesome. Like, like, hell yeah, we can win playoff series with these two, which I would guess no, but. It hasn't happened yet. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Hell, yeah, if they go, hell yeah, we can win a playoff series with these two. Then I think they they sniff around. What can we do with Goga plus a, like an asset and, and a return? Like, can we get a forward we need? Can we get this or that? You know. Then I think they do that. If they if they hit the playoffs and they just get smacked with Turbonus on the court, or it becomes obvious that two centers in the modern NBA, as we've learned over the years, cannot win a playoff series. Uh, then I think they keep Goga and try to have him develop as the backup, give him all the time and, and move on from one of the bigs. That's what I think is his future. So maybe it is on the Pacers. Depends how the playoffs go. You know, I, the, the situation I think of is, um, is Nurkic and yep. Jokic, actually. <laughs> the foreign guys in, in Denver because they tried to develop both at the same time and they were playing together and Nurkic was like, nah. And then they traded Nurk and Jokic took off. Like, the difference being, you know, I say that with Goga, like you can develop two centers at the same time. So if they keep him, they can figure it out and still have Sabonis on the team and stuff like that. So I, and they, you know, he can be Mason Plumlee. Maybe he can be the new guy who comes in. I don't know. I forgot what I was going to say with that Nuggets thing, but I remember the Nuggets having a Nurkic and Jokic and trying to develop them at the same time. And it, it wasn't awesome. Anyway, 
I think Oga can develop on the Pacers, but it depends how the playoffs go. And if they do do really well with both bigs, I think that you said do do. Huh? <laughs> I'm just being uh, I'm being I said you said do do. So I say do do a lot. I just thought, uh, yeah, I, awesome podcasting moment for myself. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, continue. No, that, that's it. That, that was my end. I think he can, it can happen on the Pacers, but we yeah. won't know until next year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just think that's, that's where it comes to. It's like if, if he's not getting the 10 minutes per game or eight minutes per game or whatever you want to say, like, then what are we doing here? You know, you can't develop into uh, a draft that, or not, not draft, a trade asset or whatever if you're not playing. And then you can't develop if you're not playing. So it's like, I, I don't know. It's confusing. But um, next question then, what are your thoughts on Turbonus? Are they actually better this year? Um, and that's not meant to be a leading question. I'm just, I'm asking. <laughs> I have my own thoughts, obviously. But um, well, what are your thoughts overarching well, on, uh, on Turbonus right now? Prior to, uh, oh man, when did the four-game losing streak start? Prior uh, to February 3rd, <laughs> I think everybody yes. was like, Things yeah, done changed. Yeah, prior to February 3rd, everybody was like, wow, this is going great. You know, uh, they, they were winning and those two were playing well together and they were playing well separate and clearly showing off their skills. I think they got up to as high as like plus four. Adam yep. tries to throw them in a segment like once every two weeks, right? So we, we have the numbers ready all the time. And then they played four good teams. <laughs> they yep. played four great teams and they got smoked with those two on the floor at the same time together and actually did pretty good when they didn't have both of those guys on together. So, uh, they're, I think their net rating is like pretty negative now, like one point something, like bad. Um, maybe it went up against the Pistons, but Miles only played like 23 minutes that game. So, which was also weird, but yeah, weird, definitely weird. Um, so, uh, I think we're kind of where we were before they the season. Minus now 1.7 points per 100 over okay. 1,100 possessions this season. Yeah, I think we're back to where we were before the season that because they're both good basketball players they can against like every non-top play team every non-top let's say eight team in the league great this is gonna go fine they're good enough they have unique enough skills that we can stay even or even win these minutes against the best teams they sacrifice so much of important perimeter skills that it doesn't work that's what i think yeah and that's no, kind I, of where it's always agree. been but we have more and more evidence even with a new coach that maybe that's the case yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I think, too, I mean, as much as you can take away from the Brooklyn game because the Brooklyn game was just uh, – that was that was awful. Uh, just awful basketball on so many fronts. Yeah, I already um, forgot that that happened. Yeah, it's for the best, <laughs> trust me. Um, it was fresh in my mind yesterday still. I'm pretending um, like that game didn't happen. But, like, I mean, part of it, too, is, like, the defense – like, I understand the defense. Like, I get why it's happening. Caitlin's been much more on top of it than I am because she's so good with X's and O's, and she's just brilliant. But, like, um, the defense is just so confusing sometimes. Or not even confusing, but, like, you just – in terms of how it functions with the guys on the roster, especially, like you are mentioning, like, against top teams, um, it's just – it hasn't worked at that level. Like, and part of it, too, is, like – I was talking to Lazarus with about this yesterday. Like, I mean, the problem with the Brooklyn Nets is not even that they have KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. It's that to help on to James Harden when TJ McConnell's freaking guarding him, you have to help off of Joe Harris. Like, yeah, it's and to not have the perimeter players, like even then, it's hard to get back on a closeout. But it's one thing to have uh, like another forward or wing coming back on a closeout than having Domas having to go close out on that guy. Right. I, I think with Bjorkren, yeah, you, to, to your point, I think with Bjorkren's like 
there's the ball. Like, go, go at it. Like, that's such a simplistic way to describe his defense. Balls are <laughs> disruptive and aggressive. It's like ball, make it, make it pass. Like, make them make mistakes. They have to recover all the time, all the time. And that's like it, it. You know, the Raptors made it work for a while. Like, it can work. It's a thing that works. But with but, a certain roster too. Exactly, like can, with yeah. two centers who suck at recovering. Especially not not that Miles sucks at recovering necessarily, but he is always like like leaning in like ready to go into the paint mark can see me i'm actually moving my body (laughs) it's like uh just the picture like if you've ever seen the thriller music video kind of like that (laughs) he's ready to go so they pass it behind him and then he's he's kind of stuck or you know sabonis is slow-footed and now other guys are making up for it boom 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 you're moving and someone's open when those two are on the court opponents are shooting 41 percent from three right now which is in insane you know and like that's a little luck, but also it's a lot of personnel. Yes. So as with the Raptors, this defense worked, right? They, they won a championship for F's sake because they had Ibaka who can move and Gasol who at the time could move and a lot of wing guys who could recover and be ready and stuff like that. So I think it can work, but with those two, it, it kind of works. Again, this goes back to like they're both talented, but against the Stars and especially like the Nets who, like you said, Joe Harris is – all the spacing and DeAndre played amazing that game, which what yeah. the hell was that? But they just, they can't quite recover. So they're, do, they're doing the part they want. They're getting the ball to get out of the hands of the guy that is going to kill them most of the time. And then they can't get to the next wave so that the ball swings around and suddenly something's open. That's what I think. And it's and clearly like 41% is insane. Clearly that, that is a, a, a result of those two struggling together defensively. So, the system is not designed to necessarily help them, I think. And that's very interesting to me, but we'll see how it grows. And, that you know, they've done it for 25 games. We'll see if it gets better over time. Well, yeah, exactly, because they're not going to – I mean, you can try, but they're the odds of them actually switching defensive bases, like, this yeah. far into the season, like, no, None. it's not going to happen. Yep. Um, so I'm interested to see how that plays out because, um, like, part of it – I mean, Miles is – defensive player of the year case has completely fallen off and it's not on him. Like I Gone. think it's, um, it's frustrating because I, th- well, I just get frustrated because I can't stand when people bitch at players and, you know, tweet at them. Like people tweeting at players just needs to not be a thing. Like they're people just like the rest of us. Um, I, you it's one thing to criticize people, but like some of the, some of the hates unnecessary. Um, but my point is like miles has just not been in a good position with this. Like so much, like it's one thing to like last year, everything gets funneled to miles and that was great. But now it's, everything is being like, instead of funneled, it's being like, like warp speeded at miles, like, okay, handle, handle this entire fucking possession. And it's, it's a lot. And it's not like he's, I mean, he's done well for the most part, um, but it's just asking a lot out of him. And it's, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I could keep going on and on about the defense. Um, what have you thought about miles, not miles, Jesus, uh, Domas and Malcolm's shot distribution over the last week <laughs> and a half? Uh, I, I have thought about it. Yes, I have thought about it. Um, I talked about it a little bit, yeah. but I didn't really come up with any thoughts beyond like, this is bad, <laughs> which yes, is yeah. not analysis. And I don't really have like a statistical way of saying like in the games, those guys take X, Y, Z number of shots. They play worse. Um, but I forget who, which player it was. Some player on the team there that, their stats were like if I think it was miles, like if he takes like 10 or 12 shots or something like the team is super good record. And 
let me back up. Every time that kind of stat comes out, stop and don't just be like, wow, Miles should shoot more. Think like, okay, that probably means well, why the other is team, that happening? Yeah, that, yeah, that probably means the other team is leaving Miles open enough that he's shooting 12 times, right? And he's good enough that he'll punish you for that. So that's a lot of times the case there. However, there is a balance aspect to it too, right? Where they're actually finding him and distributing to the ancillary players. So in past games, prior to their terrible losing streak where those two guys had the ball way too much, I think. I, I still think they had the ball too much to answer the question specifically. The, the, the shot distribution was bad. The other guys should have more balance. Prior to that losing streak, a lot of times you could say, I said this a lot on Lockdown Pacers, is when they would lose, it's like, they get enough from Brogdon Sabonis and the other guys did not shoot well enough or do whatever they had to do at the, at the level they required. Well, they literally can't do enough when Brogdon and Sabonis are taking as many shots as they were, right? Yep. Like Jeremy Lamb is, is his defense sucks this year, like worse than it's ever been in his career. Yeah. The, so uh, me and Laz had like an entire segment talking about Jeremy's uh, ghost closeout yesterday when yeah. Josh He's Jackson not closing out. He, what he's doing is he's going to turn around immediately and hope you faked the shot so he can reach in and steal it. Yeah. Him. It's um, painful. So he has to be scoring well to be a plus. And he was for a while. And then he started and got like six shots a game. Well, then he's useless, right? Because he's not scoring. So you ha- he has to have the ball more. And I think being with the bench will help him there. And Justin Holiday is like the perfect ancillary player. But basically everybody else, they need more shots to be effective in their role than they are getting. Like everyone except McConnell and I'd say Justin Holiday. So when when Brogdon and Simonis are taking 40, or I don't know if they ever hit 40. They got close, I think, once or twice. Uh, yeah, they took 39 together in the Brooklyn game, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, not good. <laughs> Now, sometimes with Sabonis, I'm more okay with it. Like, like he's just he he he's better at creating his own offense than anyone else on the team. And most of mm. his creative shots are like within eight feet, whatever. Like he shoots well enough on those that I'm most okay with his shots. But Brogdon takes some head scratchers. <laughs> yes. If he if he's a if he's really a 45 to 50 percent rim shooter, like he's taking way too many shots. So just I think just get those moving out to the other guys a little bit more, I think would help a lot. Sabonis, like two of them and Brogdon, like five of them. So I think that would be better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, I think the biggest thing too with, with, with Domas has just been that he hasn't been passing out not that he hasn't been passing out. Like yesterday was different. It felt like there was a lot more off ball movement to opening up for. Yeah, that's uh, what it was. Someone for was him. moving. So he had yeah. to do it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But like it was a little, yeah. the he- Yeah. Watching him post up DeAndre Jordan like 18 times and take a shot, like I think it, it felt like almost every time was like that was a lot. It was a lot. Um, it, it felt like watching Julius Randle play for a second. And Julius Randle's been good this year, though. Um, but past what, Julius yeah. Randle, oh, what the hell, man? Like, dude, I, right? <laughs> I, right? No, I, I'm gonna cuss. You did earlier, so now I can. I shit yeah. on Julius Randle for years. That dude was garbage, and now he's great. He's like maybe gonna he's be an all star. He should. He's be not all-star. going to be. He's not going to be, but his case is damn good. Like, what the hell? Where did this come from? Anyway, keep going. No, I totally agree. Like, I, I have no idea where it came from. People He's were been a people legit for years player. were like, oh, my gosh, Tony, like, shouldn't the Pacers try to get Julius Randle from the Pelicans? Or like, oh, he's been struggling for the next. Maybe the Pacers can. I'm like, no, dude, no. Why would they want this guy to hog up all these shots and not do anything else? And I'm like, wow, man, the Pacers would be awesome. Well, maybe the Pacers should have Julius Randle. Yeah, Tony <laughs> wilted away. And he just I can't heard, believe it. But he listened I, to I, Locked On Pacers the entire offseason. So I know. I, I should. That dude, that dude in one offseason learned how to pass. Pass, rebound, and shoot threes in one off. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, pretty much, man. That's how it feels. Um, so last thing before we get out of here, um, I totally blanked. Uh, 
Do you have really? what questions do you want to ask me? I feel like I've been asking you questions. You got to ask me a question. Come on. <laughs> well, that, those, you nailed all the hot button stuff, right? Yep. Like, I'm good at that. Like the, <laughs> the minutes thing, people talk about every game, and the shot distribution, people talked about a lot after the four game losing streak. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any player that's been. Oh, yeah, McDermott's threes. Let's talk about McDermott shooting threes. Yes. I gave him the benefit of it out for a long time that Doug McDermott has had a fantastic career shooting from deep and that he will eventually come around as a shooter. It has now been over a third of the season, 25 games, 26 games. Math is hard. And he has not come around as a shooter. Uh, I, I can't decide if I should have concerns yet or not because 113 attempts is like nothing. I think all the statistical studies about stabilizing three-point sh- shot shot percentage from high-volume shooters is like 750 attempts. So like using data, yeah, okay, I'm not like that concerned, but there's a point where it's like, what's going on? You know, like he's almost at half the attempts he took last year, hitting under league average, which is crazy. He's anecdotally it just looks a tiny bit flatter than it used to, and I don't know why. So I I want to know if that's anything that concerns you, or if I'm just imagining. No, look, I mean it concerns me too. Looking at just, I mean, what's great is the way that he's getting to the rim. Um, yeah, still playing that's great. Been, that's been great. Fair. Yeah, he's still yeah. been really good, but like. He would be, I mean, he's averaging what, like 13 a game right now, career high. Yeah. He would be averaging like 15 points per game if he was hitting his threes. Um, right. Over the last 11 hit, games. Yeah, I wrote about him. And if he was had, averaging his career percentage, he'd be averaging, I think, over a full point per game more. Yeah, he'd be like six man of the year candidate. And yeah. not that he isn't. Yeah. I mean, like he's been really good, but he, he won't get it just because. Well, the problem with six man candidates is the award's already over. Like, yeah. <laughs> Clark, yeah. Clark's already won. So yep, we, pretty much. Know. Jordan Jordan Clarkson too. Uh, I remember thinking him going to Utah was going to be like a terrible acquisition. And he's decided he he's now the paragon of efficiency in basketball. <laughs> but great for them. Um, yeah. Doug McDermott shooting 27.8% from three since January 24th. And that's wow. 11 games. That's not good. Um, I used to think when he was wide open, I was like, great. They just got three points. Like, yeah, exactly. Shot it. And, and it like, hasn't oh, felt like that anymore. Yeah. Um, see, one thing I've thought too, like maybe part of it is because they had a really big homestand and it feels like they've played more home games than away games. No, it's not that. Um, <laughs> and always thought with him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm like, well, maybe it's just because they're at home, but uh, no, I, it's definitely concerning to me. Um, I mean, his gravity is still there. It's not like teams are, uh, deciding to not cover him. I mean, he's been covered really well. The shot distribution, it feels like hasn't been different. Like obviously he's not taking long twos anymore, um, but he's taking like the same kinds of threes. It's not like mm-hmm. that he's doing anything different than last year. So I'd say it's definitely concerning to me. For um, for a while, like early season, I was like, okay, you know, and this is still kind of true. Like he's still pretty tightly contested on a lot of yeah. them because he's such a good shooter. They don't want him to shoot. But that's less so the case, I think, recently. And maybe he's in his own head of like, oh, man, I'm not hitting these this year. Like, he's not taking as many. But it, to me, it's just felt like, like even when he's wide open, they're just not going down, which is it, – it's weird. I don't, I, I'm not going to be worried until let's, – let's say 250. Let's let, you know, he's halfway there. So I guess that's basically going to be his full season probably. So maybe that's too many. Um, he just has too much of a career reputation for me to think that this is like who he is like all of a sudden. Um, mm-hmm. But I am very surprised at how how poorly he's been shooting this year. It's weird. Yeah. No, I would definitely agree with that. Um, all right. So another thing. What do you think <laughs> okay. about Jeremy Lamb's free throw rate? It is still a career-high free throw rate Immaculate, by, like, a significant-ish right? market. Yeah. Um, it makes no sense. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, the one guy who I thought 
his, his shot profile wouldn't change at all has actually changed. He's been going to the rim a bunch and he's coming off the injury that makes you think I'm not going to go to the rim at all and seek contact. And he's doing the complete opposite. And not like he's actively seeking out contact, but he's been really good at getting it. Part of it's because I do believe he has like the longest wingspan of somebody his height, like ever that I don't have stats to back that up, but it, it seems true. Um, I know he has like a seven, one wingspan. He's six foot five. Like that's ridiculous. Um, but what have you thought about that? Because I remember, like, uh, I think Derek brought it up with me. I, I to people listening, I Pacers blog. Um, we talked about it. Uh, I think it was five or six games in. I of course picked up on a statistical trend because I'm annoying. That's what I do. I was like, Jeremy Lamb is averaging a career high free throw rate, and you can see it like tangibly happening on court. And he's like, it's a, it's small sample size. I don't think it's going to happen. It's still happening, Derek. Uh, so what do you think about the free throw rate? Do you think it's going to stay? Because it's nice, like. It's not like game changing, but getting like, I mean, he's been getting normally like two, two trips to the line a game. It feels like. So I have to ask you a right question here. Do you mean yeah. like per minute per possession or literally the advanced stat free throw? Free literally throw? the advanced stat. FTR. Okay. I, I have caution with free throw rate da, da, da. because really what free throw rate is or when calculated, it's just shot attempts over free throw attempts. And the reason that ratio is higher this year is because he's not shooting as much. He's only taking eight shots a game, right? So he's taking the same number of free throws as he was basically in past seasons. Like per minute, his free throw attempts over last year, 0.3 higher per 36, whatever. Per possession, his free throw attempts over last year, 0.5 higher. So it's not like like he's getting a line more. Like I can see it. I'm watching the game. But a lot of the rate jump, which to be fair, is still a good thing because he's not the most efficient guy, although this year he is. Yeah, he's had 50, in the 50, past, 90, he, so yeah. Yeah, in the past, he's basically an average efficiency like shooter. I'm not counting like his free throw percentage here because I'm doing shots versus free throws. Basically an average effective field goal percentage guy in the past. This year, that's obviously jumped. but So that's obviously a good reason to get to the line is if you're an average efficiency guy from the field and you're a good free throw shooter, yeah, it gets the line. But he's only taking eight shots, so maintaining a good free throw rate on fewer shots is going to bump up that free throw rate. That said, it does feel like his free throw rate so high because I think to me, because he's taking so few shots when he actually does drive and draw the foul, he looks good and he's taking more three. So he's not even driving as much. I think it feels like on a lot of his drives, he's drawing contact and he's doing a really good job with that. He's just, he's looked so good. I can't believe he's been in. We won't talk about the defense, but I mean, we can't talk. About we already the did. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we did. There is, like, nothing, there is no defense to talk about. Hey, um, I actually but. said that. I mean, he just realistically <sighs> thinking, is he the worst closeout guy in the league? He might be the, like the worst defender in the league. I don't know about That's too far. Yeah, that's, that's definitely too far. Too far but but worst closeout defender. He is. I think so that that's bad. very possible. What what is it? What is the defensive rating with Jeremy Lamb on the court right now? I am gonna look it up. Yeah. So even with his great offense, they've still been outscored by thirty five with him on the court this season, and they've given up seven hundred seventy nine points on six hundred and fifty eight possessions. That yeah, the defense be, uh, is five point seven points per one hundred worse with him on court. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's not. I good. gotta. I gotta do a. Ooh, a quick prayer. 118.4 defensive rating with Jeremy Lamb in the game this season. Is that good? <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Let's do some overlap of when the, the big bad losing started and when Jeremy Lamb returned. We might see a smell a trend. Oh uh, no. Let's I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying Jeremy Lamb has played in 13 games for the Pacers this year. I think they won four, five. Five. Yeah. Uh not great. Anyway. He's got to be better on D for them to win some games. His defense sucks. But, yeah, he's been a magically efficient offensive player. He's really good at driving. He's hitting his threes, and that's keeping him at least somewhat capable right now. But he is terrible on defense. So I forget what you asked me. I got on a tangent with his defense. 
I asked about the free throw rate. Do you think it's real? Oh, like, yeah. yeah. And I guess it's not real. according. It's to not to me because he's not taking yeah. as many shots. No, that's fair. <laughs> it is the highest uh, shot foul percentage of his career. Um, oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. That is so, legit. Yeah. He's getting fouled on 14% of his shots, which okay. is like, I think, 2% higher than any other. Like he's in the top 10% in the league uh, in terms of shot foul rate. So that's pretty good. Against um, Detroit, he took his 50th three of the season, which qualifies him for the three-point percentage leaderboard, and that means he's Send him to the three-point contest, which shouldn't happen. Point but, yeah. Jeremy Lamb, what the hell? Who would have thought after – what he shot what, like 33.5% last year from three? I don't even know. I think it was – I'm looking it up. <laughs> a low right. average. He was a good shooter in Charlotte like one year, and I was like, oh, maybe yeah. they can get it out I of I think him. he shot like 30 <laughs> – yeah, he shot 37% from three in Charlotte one year. Shot 33.5% last year. So, um, all right, let's finish talking. Let's keep, like, finish the show talking about Jimmy Lamb. But I want, I want to do another thing right now. Yeah. Um, so he's come off the bench five times. Okay? Mm-hmm. Dallas, Orlando, Toronto, Toronto, Detroit. They've won three of those five games. He has started in, I can't do math quickly, eight games do up here. He started in eight games. They won two of those, Charlotte and Memphis. So two and six when he starts and three and two when he doesn't start. Their defense absolutely blows with him on the court. I think it's very clear that he should never start again. <laughs> like, never yeah. again. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think team. Nate Bjorkren found that out because – Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of it – Wow, I like, haven't really thought about how much he's been a factor in them maybe sucking recently. Well, I mean, uh, definitely for the defense. Like, if you really think, think about it. he is a bigger it. factor than I thought. Wow. Jeremy Lamb, I'm scapegoating you. On on record right now, I am. That's the episode. Of, that's the episode name for the podcast. <laughs> Tony East scapegoat. No offense, he's been a fantastic late. offensive player. He get, deserves a lot of credit. Like he has a nice crisp sixty nine percent true shooting. I did not make that up. Ooh, so wow. story. That's gotta yeah. be close to the league, league lead too. Yeah, seven forty four over six fifty five. Sorry, I'm doing more math on the air. You're Riveting good. podcasting as I feel. Yeah, so really good offensive rating with him out there. One thirteen point six. That's still a negative five net rating because their defense is so bad. So. As good as he's been offensively and helping the team win that way, he has been just as negative on the other end. Yeah. Keep him with the bench, especially agree. Too, like, with the bench. Perfect role for him. Absolutely he just perfect. makes more sense getting actual shots on the bench instead of yep. being a, a catch and shoot guy. So yep. yeah, I agree. The problem is there's and, too many, too many guys on the team that are better at not being catch and shoot players right now. <laughs> and when he's with the bench that probably means he's only with one center so they can make up for his defense a little bit more. Yeah, true. Exactly. I mean, playing the style of the defense they are right now with two centers on this no I'll just keep throwing stats i need to I, I, yes I, gotta, I like stats i got ideas I, i'm thinking you got to talk about his okay well i mean the defense very <laughs> bad like yeah like we mentioned really bad closeout guy um i don't I, like do you do you really think that is this much tied into jeremy coming back i don't know I mean, though, I that's why I, that's kind of why i'm looking at these stats right now because i think that there's this, like there's something to it this is see this is good pos- podcast we <laughs> prep for yeah, this discovery this coming out okay with with Lamb and Miles on and Sabonis off, so that's Lamb with one center. They've given up 132 on 120 possessions. That's a 110 defensive rating, much better than 118. Mm-hmm. Now let's flip the centers. So now it's Lamb on, Sabonis on, and Lamb and Turner off. Can't have two guys off in a one thing sample. <laughs> this is riveting 196 over 180 that's not as good um that's definitely not as good yeah it's not awful but that's not as good that is a defensive rating of 108.8 so yeah with lamb in just one center the defense has been awesome uh 
actually. So I think we've, we've, I just, we did it just now. So basically we came to the conclusion that the Pacers should only play one center. If Jeremy, and Lamb, Jeremy Lamb, Lamb should never play again, with yeah, center. Jeremy Lamb should never start again. Wow. That was actually really interesting stuff we just dug up. Okay. So thank you for jogging my brain here. So yeah, I think we just figured it out. Lamb should come off the bench every game because he fits way better with just one center. Uh, he can still do his scoring. His defense isn't as detrimental. And the starting lineup is better. Okay, that was really helpful. I just got a lot of good data. Wow, I'm excited. We we look at me go. All right, look at Indie Cornrows podcast. We do big things here. Um, (laughs) This is now the Pacers research podcast. Yeah, you grow in the field with. You didn't even think of this topic. We just got here. I know. I just we were talking about free throw rate, and here we are. (laughs) Jeremy Lamb, the crux of the the losing. Now I want to. Now I just want to know what his defensive rating is with both centers because it's got to be over 120. Oh, it's not good. I'm sure it's. I'm all got to be over 120. It can't be oh, good. Gosh, I'm nervous. <laughs> 368 allowed on 296. Ooh, that is not going to be good. That is a lot, but that's not over 120. Oh, it is. It's 124.3. Oh my god. So that Holy would be like that's crap. <laughs> that's like the worst defensive rating of all time. Obviously, wow, you know, dude. that's a same size, t- but if I make a tweet, do I make a chart? What is the best way to display this information that makes everybody go, "Oh, I get it now." I think a tweet would be good. <laughs> I I will figure it out. Wow. Mark wow. That was this great, was fun. Right. Tony. Listeners, I really enjoyed uh, this. You just got to hear the nerdiest basketball conversation. That's the point, man. That's this is what I love. That's <laughs> it. Fuck listens. It's all about getting the uh, getting getting the content that we want out there. Um, it won't get this me paid, but I'll enjoy. Changed my opinion of the losing streak. Like I, I'm not joking. Like I, obviously they played bad, and a lot of guys didn't really play good. But I'm really starting. Like I've always talked about how if you play terrible defense, your offense is going to suffer. You're not getting in transition as much. You're doing a lot more set plays getting to the crux of how awful their defense was and kind of a big factor in that and it being a lineup choice. Yeah. I mean, really I, I, like, through. Like, I think obviously they weren't as good as the teams they played, but maybe if they had lamb on the bench, they could have beat both of the Pelicans and uh, who's the team they played after the Pelicans on that. Sunday. Uh, who did they play on Sunday? Philly, they could have beat Philly, but that's not who I'm thinking of. I can't remember the Sunday game. <laughs> oh, was that Milwaukee? No, Milwaukee was in, earlier in the week. Are we stupid? <laughs> Dude, it, I I won't even Utah. lie. Utah. Oh, I don't think Utah. They also. Utah. I don't. Well, maybe that game was. Actually no, they close. played great D against Utah. Ironically, <laughs> wow, this is crazy. Yeah. All right. This is crazy. Anyway, well, Tony, end the show. This has been yeah, Tony. Tony, this was awesome. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time, man. I always enjoy talking. Um, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? No, not really. Uh, awesome. I haven't written in eleven days, embarrassingly. So uh, hopefully, uh, I, I get feel to that. I have like I have something that I'm gonna have come out tomorrow, but I haven't. Nice. I have clips. I just have to actually write everything. So we'll see what happens. Or it'll probably end up coming out on Sunday. Now that I think about it, but <laughs> who knows? We'll we'll get there when we get there. Thanks for joining, Tony. To everyone listening, of course, go listen to Locked On Pacers. Read everything Tony does over at Forbes. Um, of course, rate and review the show. Follow us on Twitter, and have a good rest of your day. And go Pacers.